showing this uh, video at 6 p.m. on Sunday evenings. If you miss it, then it's in the archives just below. You scroll down, click on the link to video archive, and find the lessons on Philippians. Also, our worship services, such as the one from this morning, uh, and <clears throat> my sermons are individually on there as well. Um, and and uh, in addition to the complete service recently, and then um, also my lessons during the week on the book of Psalms, Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, from Psalms at uh, 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you want to catch it live on Facebook, and then it posts right after that to our, um, our video archives on our website and also to our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page. All of that to say, you got lots of opportunities to hear Bill. Isn't that exciting? Woohoo! Fun, fun, fun. Uh, so we're on Sunday afternoons. We're doing the study of Philippians, and we're going through this great book that instructs us on how to find joy uh, in difficult times and to be able to rejoice in the Lord always, as Philippians four will tell us next Sunday. Uh, today we begin in Philippians chapter four, and we'll be looking at. At this great passage uh, that uh, has to do with uh, workers, uh, not just uh, church workers. These, a lot of these same thoughts will apply to all workers. But the ones that Paul is specifically talking to in Philippians chapter 4 uh, are church workers, uh, co-workers of his from the church at Philippi. And, um, and so he's already talked about some, Timothy and Epaphroditus and maybe a few others, or he will, but... Um, there's two great, wonderful Christian godly women that he mentions here in chapter four, uh, and um, and he calls them out a bit. They were not uh, doing right, and the Apostle Paul actually named names. These are good women, good people, good Christians, good leaders, uh, but they were having a problem, and their problem was uh, there was a lack of unity uh, between the two of them. And for Paul, that was significant enough that he would write this letter. Some have even suggested that this is the main reason for writing it. I don't know about that, but it is something that he contributes, uh, that he contributes to their situation and their conflict and tells them to get on the same page and tells others in the church there at Philippi to help them do that. So uh, good to see my friends Larry and Lynn Murphy here and some others I'm sure will be joining us along the way. If you're watching this a little bit later and you're thinking that it's live, it's not. <laughs> it's starting at 1 p.m. Central Time, and I appreciate being able to be a little bit flexible today, but it will be on there on my uh, Facebook page, and you can just click on it and get going with it or on our westerwin.com uh, live streaming page. So uh, a word to workers uh, here from Philippians chapter 4. Uh, it's a great thing to take pride in your work, whether you're in church work or in any kind of work. Scripture certainly encourages us to have a good theology of work, uh, to keep it in perspective based on God's word. Ecclesiastes talks a lot about that. Paul speaks to the Ephesians and the Colossians about that, I think. And he also uh, speaks to the Philippians about it, but with a little bit different um, focus. Uh, sometimes we lose perspective when it comes to good work and good workers. Um, and uh, I like this story of a guy. Uh, some of you may uh, identify with this. 
Uh, one night a wife found her husband standing over their newborn baby's crib. Silently, she watched him. As he stood looking down at the sleeping infant, she saw in his face a mixture of emotions, disbelief, doubt, delight, amazement, enchantment, even skepticism. He would stand back, shake his head and say, amazing, while smiling from ear to ear down at their newborn baby. Touched by his unusual display and the deep emotions it aroused, his wife's eyes glistened as she slipped her arms around him. A penny for your thoughts, she whispered in his ear. Isn't it amazing, he replied, when you take the time and really look close. How can anyone make a crib like that for only $45.99? (laughs) Well, there's a lot to be said about uh, uh, not necessarily saying everything that you're thinking. Uh, And uh, there's a lot to be said for the differences between men and women, generally speaking, not all the time, but rare exceptions. Um, But this guy obviously didn't get it. Uh, And it's nice to admire good work. (laughs) It's nice to appreciate good work and good workers. Um, And so that's, um, uh, it's good. Uh, Those things are good. But workers are especially susceptible to certain difficulties and temptations. And when it comes to those who work actively in church work and ministry, um, well, let's just say Satan really has it in for us. Because he, if he can get to the workers, if he can get to the leaders, then he knows that he's got the church. And that is exactly what's going on in the church at Philippi. And so Paul confronts it uh, head on. And, uh, and so we'll speak about a word to workers that Paul shares here in Philippians 4, uh, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I played with Euodia and I played with Syntyche, sorry about the pronunciations, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Well, there's a a great deal here that some of it, I think, goes unsaid. Uh, Some of it doesn't. And, uh, And so I want us to take a look at this and then we'll close our study time today. Uh, with prayer, uh, getting a few more to join in along with us. I appreciate that. Our dear sister and friend, Joe Morris, one of my co-workers in the Lord at the wonderful South Fork Church of Christ in Winston-Salem. And of course, uh, my dear friends, Joe and Lenny, and uh, having nice things to say about the sermon this morning, last week, and this this week. We're in light of the election and uh, what I think God's message is for uh, the disciples of Jesus Christ in this. So I appreciate the kind encouragement. If you haven't heard those, I would I would really recommend you listen to them. The sermon last week was about 35 minutes long. This week, a little bit less than that, probably less than 30. And um, and I'd love to hear what you have to think about it. Uh, and um, and as as workers um, in the Lord. Uh, you know, we we have to we have to speak to what's going on. I think it was Carl Bart who said, "If you're a preacher, then get you know prepare your sermon with your Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other." Of course, a lot of people get their news from other places uh, um, than the newspaper. But it's I I think what he's saying there still applies, and that is be relevant, but first of all, be biblical. 
be biblical in an applicable, relevant way. And I think that's the call of all of us who do any kind of teaching or certainly preaching. And and so with uh, this crazy year of 2020, we've had to uh, kind of learn on the fly to do things like Facebook Live Bible studies instead of Sunday night services and also um, try to figure out what is a good word from the Lord in the midst of all of this. A very polarizing election campaign and still not really completely 100% settled here uh, uh, four days after the election. Uh, so it's important uh, for us to hear a word from the Lord, and it's important for us to, to try to keep our perspective about us as well. And that's what was not happening uh, in Philippi. There were a lot of good workers there. Remember at the very start, Lydia uh, and her household, her family were baptized into Christ and she got Paul and Silas and Timothy to come home with her and to stay at her house, likely the meeting place of the church uh, from then on. And so here, Paul addresses some others in the church at Philippi, including these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who were at odds with each other. And that's a sad, sad thing. We talked in our Bible class at West Irwin Church this morning in our Family Life Center, a combined adult class, about uh, unity and diversity. And is it even possible? And we spoke about it from the perspective of our own country and the divided state that we're in right now, but also and especially focused on the church. Because it's hard uh, recognizing that we are a diverse church. We, we have... Um, common beliefs, but we also have a lot of different interests, different uh, beliefs in some areas of doctrine and, and Bible study. Uh, we have different passions. We have different um, areas where we want to serve different gifts. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's That helps the church be able to do all of the work that God has for us. But it's also challenging, just like in our country. The fact that we're very diverse can be very challenging. It's a great blessing. But it, it can also provide a lot of tension. Uh, in the church, it's the same way. And the, there's a great blessing in diversity where we do so much, so many different types of ministries. Uh, I'm, I don't have the gifts or the time to do almost all of them. But there are a few things that I am involved in. And I hope that's the case with all of our members. There are a few things that each of us is involved in. And we decide on that based on our interests, based on our gifts based on our passion, what we're really passionate about, and um, also the need, what, what is needed here at this church in this place and at this time. Well, Euodia and Syntyche were, were that way. They were workers for the Lord in the church at Philippi. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, their work had stemmed um, division, and that was not good. Paul begins this section uh, by affirming uh, his relationship with the Philippian church, telling them of his love uh, and longing for them. Uh, he starts out with therefore, and you always ask the question, okay, what is this therefore? <laughs> I like that. Uh, and I think it goes back to not really the first three chapters, but especially chapters two and three. Chapters two and three talked a lot about um, unity in chapter two, about the sacrifice of Christ and how it unites us uh, in chapter two calls us to serve just as he served, to have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, to be willing to sacrifice out of love and consideration and respect for others. Uh, and then it also talked to us about working for the Lord, doing doing things, being active in his service. 
uh, in chapters two and three. And so he says, I love and long for you. You are my joy and crown. And so he says, uh, in light of all of that, stand firm in the Lord. I, I want you to take these things seriously. Um, and then the apostle gets to a situation that may be one of the primary reasons for his writing to them. I think obviously he wrote several letters, apparently in Rome, uh, while he was under, we might call house arrest, had some uh, freedom. People could come and go to see him, and he taught and preached a lot while he was there those two years. But um, and, and he wrote. He wrote uh, Ephesians and uh, Colossians, Philemon and Philippians. And Ephesians, Colossians, very similar. Philippians, uh, a little bit different. The little tiny one-chapter book of Philemon written to a leader of the church at uh, Colossae. Uh, about a certain specific situation that Paul felt he needed to address, uh, not in a general letter, but in a letter specifically to Philemon. His uh, servant, his slave, Onesimus, had escaped, ran, and uh, Paul encountered him in some of his travels and converted him and now was sending him back uh, with this letter and with instructions to Philemon to do what you think is right, and I know that you will do the right thing. <laughs> it's great the way if you haven't read that little letter of Philemon, it's really, really good. Um, but also at this time, he writes the book of Philippians, and it is a bit different than the others. Uh, there are some similarities, but it's it's a bit different. And I think one of the reasons why is because uh, Paul was loved that church so de deeply because they supported him financially. And he talks about that at the very beginning, their partnership in ministry, fellowship in his ministry. He talks about it again in chapter 4, the gifts that they send later on. We'll see that here in this chapter before he ends the letter. But he also um, uh, he also addresses in a great way this topic of unity. And that's really a lot of the background in chapters 2 and 3 for what he says right now in chapter 4 to these two godly uh, Christian uh, women who were struggling in their relationship uh, with him. Seldom do you have preachers who will actually call out someone by name during a sermon. Uh, I think I have done that only one time specifically, and I remember that instance, and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Some of you might remember that. Um, but I, but for Paul, he, he is concerned enough about this that he will name names, and he speaks specifically of uh, Euodia and uh, Syntyche. Uh, Paul calls on these two godly women to get on the same page. And uh, the apostle has special admonitions regarding them. Uh, he worked with Christian women. We read that about Lydia, as we said. Uh, Priscilla, uh, uh, we remember his writings and work with Priscilla and Aquila. Many times she is listed first. Phoebe, of course, he addresses in Rome, uh, the letter to the Romans. And so it's important for us to uh, recognize that, yeah, Christian women have, have a, a role in the work of the church. Um, I believe that there's biblical teaching about that. I think uh, one of the primary places to look at is 1 Corinthians 14, as Paul addresses some things that are unique uh, to the assembly, to the worship assembly. A lot of uh, discussion about that, a lot of difference of opinion about that, and that's not his point here, so I'm going to go on. Uh, he mentions a companion, um, <clears throat> his yoke fellow, something like that. The companion is unnamed. And it could be that this is actually his name. It could be some proper name that everybody in Philippi and Paul uh, would know. That's really all we know about who he's referring to. And then there's Clement. 
Uh, and Clement is listed only here in the New Testament. Um, and you said, wait, I've heard of Clement, Clement of Rome. And yes, that's right. Clement of Rome was what we call one of the early church fathers or apostolic fathers. Uh, he, according to Roman uh, church history, uh, Clement of Rome lived in the first century, born about the time the church began. So about 30 years or so after Christ, about 25 or so years after the birth of Paul. Um, he wrote letters to churches, in, in particular the book that's referred to as First Clement. And he wrote it right around 95 to 100 uh, of the Common Era, A.D., um, and he died just after the Apostle John. So he was a contemporary of uh, the Apostles. He was a contemporary of the Apostle John. Doubtful that that's the Clement that's talked about here because we're looking at a different place, a different area. Um, and so we don't know for sure. We don't know that much about what he's saying, uh, who that is. But we do know that he's addressing all of these. And then he goes on and kind of has a catch-all statement of the rest of my co-workers. And he's kind of calling on the whole church there to uh, come together and help these two women uh, uh, work through this conflict. Um, there obviously was something that was there, uh, not unheard of then or now, uh, when people are active in the work and service uh, within the church. We see that a lot. In Philippians 2, as I mentioned, Paul had, had uh, spoken specifically about Timothy and Epaphroditus, but listed them as good examples of the church there to follow. And maybe, again, he's thinking ahead of what he's going to have to say about these two godly women uh, and trying to maybe give an example of here's how here's how you can do this, be active in the work of the church and still uh, not be uh, divided with others. Um, certainly, Paul himself uh, could be uh, uh, lifted up as an example. And we're, rem we're reminded of the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the, really the, all the different problems they had going on there. The, the problem of division was the first one that Paul addresses, and he addresses it more than any of the others, because much of the first three chapters is really that, that in mind. Some could say that the church at Corinth was suffering from a bad case of preacheritis. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas or Peter. I follow Christ. There was this one-upmanship going on about who baptized me and who baptized you and who have I heard and who's the better preacher. And um, uh, Paul said, look, enough of that. There's only one person who was, who was crucified for you, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one person uh, in whose name you're baptized, and that's Jesus Christ. So Paul you know, kind of ends that issue right off. <clears throat> and, and unity is an important theme here. Just like in in First and Second Corinthians, it's an important theme here in uh, Philippians and in Ephesians. Ephesians talks a lot about unity in Ephesians chapter four. That was one of the passages we looked at in our Bible study uh, this morning in our Bible class at church. Uh, Paul addresses this disunity that was based on the tension between these two godly Christian women. It had affected the whole church, it seems. Uh, we don't know what specifically it was. We don't know what was going on. We don't have any of the details other than their names. Um, and we do know that the apostle affirms them. He calls them uh, great workers, but he also tells them to be one in the spirit, uh, like the song that we sing sometimes. So considering the importance of those who serve and do so much in the life and ministry of the church, I wanted to share a few words uh, uh, to workers 
um, to Christian workers today. Um, and there are some temptations those of us, men and women, who work hard for the Lord should be especially conscious of. I think, again, Satan wants to get at leaders. And if you're an elder or an elder's wife or a deacon or a ministry leader, um, a spouse of one of those, a minister, um, a minister's wife, if you're involved in the leadership of God's people in whatever way, um, then um, these are things that I think we all face, uh, some temptations that Satan especially hits us with. Uh, number one is discouragement. Just being discouraged when things uh, don't go the way you want them to, and there can be a lot of frustration. Uh, and of course, in a year like we've had this year, there is certainly a lot of frustration and a lot of discouragement because things just haven't gone the way they should go. They haven't gone the way we wanted them to go, and they haven't gone the way we expected them to go. And that, that can lead to discouragement. Another temptation is losing our perspective. Losing our losing our balance, not that we're falling over physically, but that we're just we, we have things out of kilter a bit. We're emphasizing one thing more than the others. I think really active ministries that require a lot of effort and a lot of sacrifice tend to do this, especially. Uh, and that leads to the third one, which is arrogance. Um, and it's an unhealthy pride or feeling of superiority. My ministry's better than your ministry, that kind of thing. And, and there's just no place for that in the church. All ministries are important. All ministries are needed and necessary. Uh, there's so much written in the New Testament about this. Um, all involved in ministry are susceptible to this tactic that Satan will use to try to discourage us and split the church and, and keep the church from doing work effectively. And, and the way this works out is that we look at other people and they're not involved in our ministry. So we say, hey, you're not you're not very active for the Lord. You're not you're not doing uh, what God wants you to do. And they may be very active in a different ministry, but because we don't see it as uh, as as important as ours. And maybe because we don't see them doing anything because they're doing something that we're not doing for the Lord and his church, then we judge them and we feel like we're better than them. And that's that's not right. That is just not right. Uh, scripture is clear that there are so many areas of service for the church. Ephesians 4 talks about all of the different gifts that people have that shouldn't uh, destroy our unity because they they help prepare and equip God's people for works of service in all of those different areas. Um, and remember, unity and uniformity are not the same. Uniformity is where everybody's just alike. And, and you know, there's, there's no problem with division there because everybody agrees on everything. The problem with that is that you have a singular focus and nothing else is able to be accomplished. Diversity, unity and diversity is something that is biblical, something where God provides differences within the church. And he calls us to acknowledge those differences and affirm them. Uh, in the spirit of unity, as uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter four, um, he tells them to maintain and support and and cultivate uh, the spirit of unity through the bond of peace. Uh, he tells them to maintain an atmosphere and an environment for unity by being considerate and loving and respectful, um, all of those things. And here he's, I think, saying much the same thing. And then one more temptation for those who are hard workers in the Lord, and that is burnout. You got to pace yourself. I remember the wonderful, incredible Mac Barty, 
who was an uh, 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 Air Force chaplain and elder when Joyce and I were baptized at uh, Lackland Terrace Church of Christ in San Antonio while we were in high school. And then when I came back after Oklahoma Christian College and was a youth minister there, Mac was the preacher. He had retired from the Air Force as a chaplain and was now preaching there. And I remember the when I first got there, Joyce was working downtown San Antonio. We had zero money um, and we had, you know, no kids. Um, there was just not much to do, quite frankly. She was at work. and But I did get one day off a week. And I just didn't have anything to do, so I would just go into the office. And Mac pulled me aside one time, and he said, Bill, what are you doing here? Don't you know what day it is? And I said, well, yeah, I just there's just nothing to do at home, and Joyce is working, and we're broke, and there's just not, you know, we just there's just nothing to do. And he says, look, get out of here. I don't care what you do, even if you just go home and do nothing. You need to take this day off because I want you to be involved in a lifetime of ministry and not just go 24-7 for a few years and then burn out and quit, and maybe even quit more than just the ministry. And unfortunately, that's a tale that's been told of too many wonderful Christian workers, not just preachers or ministers full-time, but others that give themselves completely to some ministry, and they don't pace themselves, and they don't take care of themselves, and they lose perspective, and they lose balance. Uh, that's, that's just not right. It's just not right. Um, so watch out for all of those. Again, all who are active in in ministry, full-time, part-time, uh, volunteer, all are susceptible to these things. The more time and energy and difficulty and money uh, that uh, and other things that a ministry might cost us, the more susceptible we are to these. Uh, and so the more aware and on our guard we need to be. So what can help prevent us from falling into this trap? of the devil. Well, a few things. Number one, be aware of the temptations and your vulnerability to them. Acknowledge, hey, Satan could attack me through this. This is a good thing. Satan's most effective temptations for those who are strong believers and Christian workers is not giving them a a choice between something that's good and something that's horrible, but it's rather choosing between a, a few good things. And, and so being active in ministry is a good thing. Also taking a break and, and being willing to acknowledge others are, are good and active in good ministries as well. Those are all good things. So continue to examine your motives. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, hey, I discipline myself. To, I beat my body to make it my slave, not in a physical um, beating sort of sense, but a self-discipline sort of sense, where he says, "Look, I don't want to, I don't want to lose my soul after I've been trying to save everybody else." And I think that's important for those of us who are actively in in ministry and church leadership. Uh, secondly, take deliberate action. Uh, learn about others and what they're doing for the Lord. Encourage others privately and publicly when you can. Take part in their work uh, and, and not just yours. Um, pray for areas of ministry you're not personally involved in and pray for those who participate in them. Maybe you maybe you don't teach a Bible class. You can pray for those who do. Maybe you're not one of the elders or deacons or, or ministers or, or their families, but you can certainly pray for their families. And um, you know maybe you're involved in a, uh, a ministry of benevolence, like we have a very active benevolence ministry at our church in downtown Tyler. Maybe you cook food for shut-ins or you provide... Uh, encouragement. Uh, we had a group uh, that uh, um, 
that meet every Wednesday morning and pass out food in our benevolence ministry as people drive by from the community. And, and there's so many different wonderful ways to serve. And so find out what those are and, and pray for those. Maybe you won't get involved in them, but you can pray for them. And the things that you are involved in, uh, maybe you can keep that in perspective. Um, remember, the church is made up of, of one body, but many members. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, and that those different members have different gifts, different areas of ministry, just as we said. And it doesn't have to keep the church from uh, being unified. Euodia and Syntyche, whatever it was, it was their conflict. And again, we don't know. It didn't have to be that way. And so Paul uh, uh, affirms them, but he also challenges them and the church to make sure that that this doesn't happen and that they're able to maintain their unity uh, in that work of the Lord. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, all of these passages are great passages that talk about uh, differing, differing gifts and ministry within the church and yet one body, one body. Um, next, you could talk to somebody about how you feel when you're down or when you're depressed or when you're in one of those Elijah spirals. You remember Elijah, First uh, Kings 18 and 19 in chapter 18. He has that great victory over the, uh, the prophets of Baal. And then in chapter 19, Queen Jezebel threatens him and he runs for his life because he's done. He is spent. He says, Lord, just take me now. She's killed all your prophets. I'm the only one left that's trying to be faithful, and now she's coming after me too. And, and through all of that, God ministers to Elijah. He gets him to rest. He sleeps, gets him to exercise, has him walk a good ways and, and, uh, to where he wants him to go, has him eat. Those are all important things if you're going through situational depression. If it's a clinical depression, by all means, get medical help. And you may have to get on uh, some kind of antidepressant. If that's a chemical thing. Uh, it's just like taking any other kind of medicine when your body isn't quite right. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but you want to do it under a doctor's care and supervision, just as, as you would any other uh, kind of medication. Um, and so I, you know, I think when you do that, when you're in one of those Elijah depression spirals, then talk to somebody, um, whether it's a professional counselor. And again, no shame in that at all. In fact, there's shame in needing to do that and not doing it, I think. But you do. You, you can also talk to a trusted Christian friend or leader, um, family member, somebody that's going to steer you right and that's going to help you through that. Um, and then number four is just take a break. Take a break. You know, maybe uh, don't get I'm, here is a preacher who desperately needs workers in the church always uh, telling you take a break. And the reason is the same reason that Mac Barty told me, take that day off, Bill. Because you, it's, I want you to have a lifetime of service to the Lord. And sometimes in order to do that, you need to take a break. doesn't mean you take a break from serving and following God, but it may mean that you take a break from serving in one particular area, maybe finding a different ministry to be involved in for a while, um, or maybe taking a bit of a sabbatical and devoting yourself uh, to prayer and to Bible study. Those are good things, but don't let that be permanent. Don't get comfortable there. You want to get back into it and continue to serve and lead God's people because we need you. But we need you healthy, healthy physically, healthy mentally, healthy emotionally, healthy spiritually. Well, we can be devoted to our ministry and still appreciate and respect others and their ministries. I think that's the biblical way. Was this part of what was going on in Philippi with Yodia and Syntyche? 
I don't know for sure, but it's certainly possible. And it gives us the opportunity to remind ourselves of Satan's ways and his desire to harm us. See, he is real. He is walking around, as Peter says, like a roaring lion seeking to eat somebody up. Well, he certainly wants to eat up those wonderful church leaders and active uh, workers in the Lord. Uh, he wants to harm us and he wants to turn us away from Jesus and his church. The church is in great need of each person's gifts and focus and ministry. All are crucial to the work of the Lord. You are crucial to the work of the Lord. And so I pray that you'll be faithful in that work. And may God bless you. May God keep you. May God continue to be with our nation and our communities during this difficult time where we need Christian workers as much as ever. I'll see you later. God bless.